Good morning, church. Thank you, Marissa, for that beautiful song. It's good to be with you again. Outside worship. You know, it's good to see the children come forward here. We haven't been doing this for a long time. The last two weeks we've done it. It's good to see the kids up here all together in one group. And so as I saw that happen last Sabbath with the kids just filling the front, I was thinking about it. I took a picture of it and I thought, you know what? We are blessed to have all of these kids here, to have a community with young families, with children. It's a blessing and it's also a big responsibility to bring these little ones to Jesus. And so, this inspired me to prepare a short two-part series called Bring, me to Je- Bring Them to Jesus. Are we okay here? Today is part one, the method of the gardener. What does the Bible have to say about parenting and bringing the children to Jesus? Let's pray together before we begin our study. Father in heaven, thank you again for this beautiful day that we can sit outside and praise and worship you and get to know you better through your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us in a very real way. Take away all the stress, the distractions, the problems in life and help us to hear a word from you this morning, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 to 5. And here's what the Bible says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now get this, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. Paul is writing a letter here to Timothy, and he is filled with joy when he remembers Timothy's faith, his genuine faith. But he says that genuine faith first dwelt in Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. What a deeply profound spiritual impact those two women must have had in Timothy's life that a non-relative named Paul even knew that his genuine faith was passed down to him through the faith, the genuine faith of his mother and grandmother. Some of you here are mothers, or some of you are grandmothers even, or your fathers or grandfathers. 
Are you having that kind of spiritual impact upon your children, your grandchildren? I would like to propose to you today that the most important inheritance that you can leave your children or your grandchildren is not money or a house or a car. It's a spiritual inheritance. That your children will be in heaven one day. Your grandchildren will be in heaven one day. That's the most important thing you can do for your family, your kids, your grandkids. When eternity is in view, leaving a monetary inheritance means little if the child or grandchildren do not go to heaven when Jesus returns. So our priority needs to be the salvation of our children and grandchildren instead of how much money we have in the bank or what we own. Now go a few more chapters further in 2 Timothy. Let's go to chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's look at verses 14 and 15. And it says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From what age did Timothy know the Holy Scriptures? It doesn't give us a specific age, does it? But it says the general age category. Was he a young adult? Or he was a child? From childhood, it says. How did he learn the scriptures as a child? But of course, his mom and possibly his grandma. Are you parents teaching your children the Bible? It's not enough just to bring them to Sabbath school where the Sabbath school teachers teach them about the Bible. No, you need to teach them about the Bible at home. Read the Bible with them. Pray. Lead your children to Jesus. Parents, it's our job, it's our responsibility to teach our children to love reading God's Word, to love studying the Bible, make the stories interesting for them, make them exciting for them, memorize Scripture with them, rehearse memory verses, their Sabbath school memory verses and others, learn them during family worship, learn them while you're driving in Beirut and you're stuck in traffic. I hope the kids in this church will be like Timothy. That he was known, even from childhood, knowing the Scriptures. I want our kids here to be known that they knew the Holy Scriptures, even from childhood. Because this book, the Bible, leads people to salvation. And that's why we want our kids to know God's Word. Now let's go from 2 Timothy to the Old Testament for just a, a minute here. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy what chapter? 6. Some of you are still with me. Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to read verses 1 to 7. 
The Bible says, now this is the commandment that these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. So who are these for? Just you? No, you, your kids, your grandkids. And verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And notice verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to who? Who do you teach them to? Your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Very important passage right here, my friends. And the context of Deuteronomy 6, the preceding chapter is chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments were given by God himself. So when it says to teach these commandments to your sons, your grandsons, your children and grandchildren, certainly the Ten Commandments would be in mind. Pass on this knowledge of God's holy law to your family. Now, if we're going to teach our children to obey God's law, certainly we ought to be obeying it ourselves. Our example in obeying God in spiritual things is huge in the eyes of our children. If they see us being spiritually lazy, not uh, attending church or not even watching online during COVID, not reading our Bibles or not praying, they will wonder why should they do these spiritual activities, these spiritual disciplines. If mom and dad are too busy to do it or they don't care to do it, why should I? Our example will greatly influence our children, either for bad or for good. We need to teach our children the truths of God's Word throughout the day. Certainly, family worship is part of that. But it goes beyond family worship. We need to teach God's Word to our children all throughout the day, through the daily lives that we have, the daily routines of life, at work, at play, at meals. Last night we had vespers up at Lookout, Lookout Ledge. And on the way up to Lookout Ledge, my wife had tacked on bushes and trees scripture verses. So as we're walking, our minds can focus on God's Word. What is God saying to us? What's our identity in Christ? What does God's Word say about that? While you're walking, while you're driving, while you're sitting at home, we can teach our children, God's word, and what it means to follow God, 
in every circumstance, in every situation. If our kids see the difference Christ makes in our lives, they will want this difference in their lives as well. I want us to go to one more passage here, Matthew 19. How did Jesus, how did Jesus relate to the children? Matthew 19. And we're going to look at verses 13 and on to 15. The Bible says, The little children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't come here. Jesus is too busy. He's got too much to do for you kids. Moms, please. Jesus is busy. He's a busy teacher. He has many things to do, many places to go, people to heal, people to help, people to teach. No time. No time for you little ones. No time for a children's story. No. Please, go back. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Can you imagine this story? Young families like these ones here, these kids with their moms and dads that come with them sometimes, coming to Jesus and the disciples just put a block, a barrier. No, send you away. He doesn't have time for kids. In Desire of Ages, Ellen White says it was the mothers who brought their kids to Jesus. These young moms. But they're not just young moms. They could be even older moms because Ellen White also says that some of the children had passed beyond the years of infancy to childhood and youth. So they're bringing them all. The little ones, the older ones, the bigger ones, the youth, bringing them to Jesus. And when the disciples rebuked these moms, the Bible says that Jesus was greatly displeased with his disciples. Greatly displeased. Jesus loves the children. He loves them and he has time for them. And Ellen White beautifully expresses this in the chapter Blessing the Children in the book Desire of Ages. And that book, that chapter has lots of amazing counsel for parents, and I want to share with you this morning just five highlights from that chapter, lessons uh, that you can take home today and make an impact in your lives and your families. I put them in the study guide, which we sent out, so hopefully you can have them also as a reference there. Lesson number one, kids are open to the gospel message, very open, and so we need to seriously Teach them God's word when they are young. Here's what she writes on page 515 of Desire of Ages. It is still true that children are the most susceptible to the teachings of the gospel. Their hearts are open to divine influences and strong to retain the lessons received. Children are the most susceptible to the teachings of the gospel. 
So we need to put our emphasis, our energy into the kids. Don't just think we got to reach all the adults. Yes, we need to reach the adults, but we need to reach the kids too. Sometimes if we reach the kids, we reach the adults. Lesson number two, kids need to learn that obedience reveals love. Here again, uh, the Desire of Ages says, As the mother teaches her children to obey her because they love her, she is teaching them the first lessons in the Christian life. The mother's love represents to the child the love of Christ. And the little ones who trust and obey their mother are learning to trust and obey the Savior. So moms and dads, what you're doing at home matters a lot. Don't feel like, oh boy, I'm not accomplishing anything at home with my kids. No, your influence is huge. What you're teaching them is teaching them about God. Lesson number three. Treat children as intelligent beings, treating them like you would like to be treated. Isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do we apply that to the kids? Sometimes, sometimes not. Here's what Desire of Ages says, The grace of Christ in the heart, in your heart and my heart, will soften whatever is harsh and subdue all that is coarse and unkind. It will lead fathers and mothers to treat their children as intelligent beings as they themselves would like to be treated. So parents, we need the grace of Christ in our hearts. Then we can treat our children as the intelligent people that they are. And as I was thinking about this, this uh, intelligent, treating them as intelligent people, I thought of emotional intelligence. You've heard about emotional intelligence, haven't you? It's a hot topic, so to speak, nowadays because it's important. Your emotional intelligence level. Even, they say, more important than IQ. Here's actually what the Olivers, Willie and Elaine Oliver, uh, have to say about emotional intelligence in their little book, Hope for Today's Families. And I put these in the study guide for you as well, these quotes. Here's what psychologists have found. That emotional intelligence, or EQ, is a better predictor of a person's success in life than IQ. Intelligence quotient. They have discovered that EQ leads to happiness in all aspects of life. Work, career, relationships. So some of you might be wondering, well, what is EQ? What's, what is that? What's emotional intelligence? It's the ability to control one's emotions. Controlling one's emotions. It's being aware of your emotions and having the ability to, make, to manage these emotions even in the most stressful situations. Dr. John Gottman, a leading psychologist who has done extensive research in marriage and parenting, suggests that parents need to become involved with their children's feelings. Parents must become emotion coaches. That's a new term, maybe a new idea for you. Parents are emotion coaches. 
Parents should use negative and positive emotions as opportunities to teach their children important lessons about life and build closer relationships with them. Doc, Dr. Gottman is clear that emotion coaching does not mean that parents should do away with discipline, but helps parents have more successful parent-child interactions. Okay? So emotional intelligence, helping our children have healthy emotional intelligence. So the Olivers give four steps for parents on helping our children to coach them to be emotion coaches. Here are the four steps. Step one, become aware of your child's emotions. All emotions are an opportunity for a closer relationship with your child and for teaching. So if they're mad, or if they're sad, or if they're glad, whatever their emotion is, this is an opportunity for learning, for teaching them. Become aware. How are they feeling? How do you perceive them to be feeling? Step two, listen sincerely to your child. Parents must learn to listen to their children and validate their feelings. What does it mean to validate their feelings? Mommy, I'm so upset. I'm angry. Ah, I'm shouting. I'm upset. Okay. So you're very upset. Is that right? Yes, I'm very upset. You validated them. They know you heard them. You acknowledge what they're feeling, and it's important that they know you're understanding them. Validate their feelings. Then they say your attitude toward your children is essential in helping them become emotionally intelligent and responsible adults. Make sure that your language is not critical, judgmental, or blaming. Okay, so step two, you listen and you val validate their feelings. Step three, help your children find ways to label emotions they are feeling. Sometimes your child may yell hit or stomp, and this is normally interpreted as anger. However, most times these fits of anger are just expressions of what your child is really feeling. Instead of getting angry at your child and yelling and screaming, ask the child what he or she is feeling and provide feeling words such as sad, frustrated, embarrassed, shy, upset. I don't know about you, but when I was reading through these, I thought, wow, this is helpful for me as a parent. Maybe it'll be helpful for you also to help your children with their emotions. Step four, set limits while exploring solutions to the problem at hand. Children need parents to set clear limits that are age-appropriate. Children rely on this guidance in both childhood and adolescence. Children begin asking for independence from very early on. I would say even my kids who are very young are doing this. However, the parent who gives independence without limits is not doing the child a favor. You can't just let your kids do whatever they want. It's not doing them a favor. Proper boundaries, proper limits are needed. The Olivers say, rather this creates havoc and insecurity for the child if you just let them run free. On the other hand, a parent who is too controlling and does not allow the child to exercise some independence hinders the child's development. Children must be respected, acknowledged as having a point of view, 
and given opportunities to make choices. Interesting. Excellent information and very practical. Treating our children as we want to be treated and coaching them on how to handle their emotions. I don't know about you parents, but this is easier said than done. Sometimes we as adults have a hard time controlling our own emotions. Maybe some of you are thinking, how can I help my child have a high level of emotional intelligence when I don't even have that myself? Well, that's a good question. And that's where we come back to the grace of Christ in the heart. That's what we need as adults, as parents. With His grace in our hearts, He will help us to handle our own emotions in healthy ways, no matter how stressful the situation is. So that was number three, third lesson from Desire of Ages. But now let's go to lesson number four. Follow the method of the gardener. Here's what Ellen White says. Parents, in the training of your children, study the lessons that God has given in nature. Ask the gardener by what process he makes every branch and leaf to flourish so beautifully and to develop in symmetry and loveliness. He will tell you that it was by no rude touch, no violent effort, for this would only break the delicate stems. It was by little attentions often repeated. He moistened the soil and protected the growing plants from the fierce blast and from the scorching sun and caused them to flourish and to blossom into loveliness. In dealing with your children, follow the method of the gardener. By gentle touches, loving ministrations, seek to fashion their characters after the pattern of the character of Christ. How many of you have gardens? So there's some of you who are garden, gardeners. Let's learn a, a lesson from nature, from the garden, from gardening. One thing I know about gardening is it takes time. If you just throw the seeds out there and pray that they're going to grow, is that going to happen? No. Parent, uh, gardening takes time. Likewise, parenting takes time. Our kids need time with us. Gardening, gardeners know that plants need the right environment to grow. Some plants need shade. Some plants need the full sun. Some need protection from the wind. If they're in a windy place, they're going to fade away and die. They're not going to succeed. Some need lots of water. Some need just a little water. The gardener knows the environment is vital to having healthy crops or healthy plants. Likewise, parents... We need to provide the best environment possible for our children to become healthy Christians. Is the sun, Jesus, shining upon your children in your home, in family worship? Are they getting enough sunshine to grow? 
Having sunshine on Sabbath is, is not enough. That plant will wither and die. They need the sun, Jesus Christ, to shine all through the week in your home. Are you protecting your children from the blast of the wind that might make them wither and fade? Where do these winds come from? Well, what about the winds of the internet? Are you protecting them from violent and immoral TV shows, movies, and video games? Or do you just let them run free? Whatever you find on YouTube is good. Really? Is everything on YouTube good? Got to be kidding me. Are all video games good? Got to be kidding me. Just like the gardener gives little attention to the plants regularly, we need to give our children the attention that they need also. And I would suggest, while we're thinking a lot about the children now, I would say these principles apply to the big kids, too, our students, our MEU students, our college students, our young adults. They need attention. They need time. They need a good environment. They need activities. The Olivers emphasize the importance of spending time with the children. And I want to share with you two more quotes from them. Here's what they say, there are no shortcuts in parenting, not even for busy parents. Now, get this line. The quality of time does not make up for minimal quantity. Let's unpack that. Okay, so Sunday's family day, right? So we're going to have family time on Sunday. And then you don't see your kids the rest of the week. How's that going to work? Is that good enough? No. They need to see you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday also. Yes, we need, we need quality time, like a full day Sunday, for instance, as a family. This is good for the kids. This is good for us as families. But it's not enough just to say we want quality time. Oh, we're going to have quality time for three hours on Sunday and hollas. The rest of the time I'm working, I've got projects, I've got this, I've got that, I'm busy, too busy for the kids. No. The quality of time does not make up for minimal quantity. They need minutes. They need hours. They need time with us day by day. Healthy families, they say, structure their schedules, however busy and hectic, to spend time together eating, working, and playing. The bottom line is this. Parenting takes time. Parenting takes time. Children need our time and attention. And as adults, sometimes our devices, our laptops, our cell phones, tablets, they distract and absorb our attention. So here I am, getting text message after text message and email after email. Here comes Angela. Daddy, daddy, let me tell you about my day. Okay, yes. And I'm not looking at her for one minute. Did, she, did I give her any attention that she needed? The, the tablets and the phones have now taken the place of the old newspaper. 
Remember the old newspapers that people used to have? Some might still use them, but I don't think too many. The dad would come home from work, open the newspaper, and start reading. The wife comes in, how's your day, honey? Fine, how are you? Good, let me tell you about my day. She starts telling a story. He's reading the newspaper. And he's not paying attention to her at all. Or the kids. But now we don't have a newspaper. We just have all these devices. So that our kids are talking to us. Or even our spouse is talking to us. And we're not listening to them. Because we are fully absorbed in our device. We're not giving our kids or sometimes our other family members our full attention. And here's one final quote from the Olivers. In parenting, love looks like focused attention. I like that. Focused attention. Time, support, connectedness, boundaries, and commitment. This genuine, active love bonds you and your child or children. Children need to know that they are being heard and that they are important enough for you to devote your full attention to what they have to say. This makes them feel loved. Parents, I want to invite you today, make your children feel loved this week, today, tomorrow. When they're talking to you, put the device away, put the cell phone or whatever laptop you have, put it away, focus on them. What are they saying to you? Look them in the eyes. Give them full attention. Make them feel loved. Same way for teachers with your students. Look them in the eyes. Give them your full attention. Make them feel loved, valued, important. What are they saying? What what is important in their mind that they want to say to you? The method of the gardener. Remember that, parents. Remember these lessons from the gardener. Now, lesson number five. Help children understand and experience happiness in following Christ. Here's one more short quote from Desire of Ages. She says, Do not give the children the false impression that the religion of Christ is a religion of gloom and that in coming to the Savior they must give up all that makes life joyful. Make your Christian experience a joyful one for your kids. Make Sabbath the best day of the week. Make family worship fun and enjoyable. Don't let Christianity become a religion of gloom for your kids, or we will lose them. Don't make the commandments of God a burden on your kids, because the Bible, in fact, says the commandments of God are not burdensome, but they're meant to be a blessing. They lead to love and joy and peace in the home when we follow God's word, when we follow God's commandments. In closing, I want to tell you something very important something you already know, but I will say it publicly. I am not a perfect parent. I'm not. Katie is not a perfect parent. And our daughters are not perfect either, but we still love them. We still love them. 
Parenting has been, and I'm sure it will continue to be, character building for me. Teaching me and teaching Katie to be more patient, gentle, kind, and unselfish. Boy, life without kids is do whatever you want. But when you have kids, now what, what are we going to do with the kids? What do they want to do? Teaches us to be unselfish. Parenting teaches us to be unselfish. So when I appeal to you now, I want to uh, uh, let you know that I'm appealing to my own self and my own family. Parents, to do our job right. It's not just pull up, uh, you know, your, put on your boots by your own strength and power and you can do it. No, we can't do it on our own. We need divine help. We need God's help. And God will help us. That's why God has given us this counsel. So we can know how to lead our children to know Him, to know His Word, and to follow and obey Him. God will help us to lead our children to love the Lord with all their hearts, with all their minds, all their souls. God will help us to treat them as we would want to be treated, to treat them as intelligent people. He will help us to help them process their emotions in healthy ways and thus have a high level of emotional intelligence. He will also help us follow the method of the gardener, not to be harsh, not to be angry, with our kids, dealing with them lovingly, like a gardener takes care of the plants. God will help us raise our kids for Him if we ask Him for help, if we bring our children to Jesus. We have a choice to make. Are we going to bring them to Jesus or are we going to let them be swept away by the ways of the world? And the ways of the world spend a lot of money to get them. The devil is after your kids. The devil's after my kids. He's after our students. We have to be intentional to invest in our children, invest in our youth, invest in our students. So I appeal to you parents, I appeal to you teachers, administrators, bring your son, your daughter to Jesus. Bring your students to Jesus, whether they're at Bushria School, at MEU, or some other school. Bring them to Jesus. If they're in your home, bring them to Jesus. Make Jesus a priority in your life and in your child's life. Teach them that this is what is most important. Yes, getting good grades is important. Yes, success in life is important. But the most important thing is Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus and being in heaven one day. So what about those of you who have no children or grandchildren? Or your children are grown and gone, long, far away, far away place now. What's in this sermon for you? If you don't have children or grandchildren, you probably have a friend or family member who does. You might have a nephew or niece. You can encourage and pray for your friends and family members who have children. 
You might work here at MEU or another nearby school. You can make a huge impact in the lives of young people, of students, if you don't have children. You can bring other children to Jesus in your prayers, praying for these young people here, praying for the young people in your school, in your dorm. Jesus wasn't married. He didn't have children. But he still cared for and loved and blessed the children. If you don't have children, you can still care for the ones within your influence. You can still love them, care for them, and be a blessing to them and to their families. God wants to save all of us, including our children. Jesus loves the children. So let's be intentional, friends and church family. Let's be intentional about bringing as many children as possible to Jesus so he can bless and save them. As Jesus said himself, let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. Let's bring our children to Jesus. Let's bring all of them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning our thoughts have been about our children and what your word says about them and how you want us to raise them, to teach them about you, to teach them about your word, to teach them to love you with all their hearts, Lord, I want to pray for each parent who's here today, each grandparent who's here, each adult who has an influence over some child, youth, or young adult. Help each of us, Lord, to be a positive witness for Jesus in the lives of these young people. Help us to bring them to Jesus, to bring them all, the little ones, the two-year-olds, the babies, the five, six, ten-year-olds, thirteen-year-olds, teenagers, college students. Help us to bring all of our children to you, all the young people within our sphere of influence. Lord, help us to remember the lessons from the gardener that we need to give time to our children. We need to give them attention. We need to love them and listen to them and pay attention to them. We need to help them with their emotions and process those emotions. And Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need the grace of Christ in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you'll help me and each one of us to have your grace transforming our lives so that we can be the adults, the parents, the teachers that you want us to be so we can bring our children, our young people to Jesus. So they will be in heaven with us throughout all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.